Okay, thank you, Pastor Jerry. Uh, for those who don't know me, my name's Vin. I'm one of the pastors here. I have the honor and privilege of preaching uh, from Psalm 100. So keep your Bibles open, Psalm 100, as we continue in worship through the preaching of God's Word. And side note, if you're, for those who can and able, if you're thinking about having children and you saw that, that incident happen, that's the indicator. Go have more children. That was, a, that was a word from the Lord, not from me, okay? Anyway, Psalm 100, we're going to keep it there. But let me, ask you, let me ask you a question as we start in Psalm 100. My question is this, are you anything like me? Now, I don't mean speaking with an Australian accent. But are you like me that you always stop to look at a sunrise and sunset? That when you see one, you can't help yourself, you pull up your phone, you capture the image, you put your phone away and you just stare, you just look. You look at its magnificence. You see, God's common grace to all of his creation is something we actually marvel at, each and every one of us. But isn't it not interesting that we continue to marvel at something as simple as a sunrise and sunset? Like, think about it with me. The sun rises and the sun sets every single day without fail. It will do it without you or with you. It doesn't matter. Each and every one of us, I assume, in this room has seen at least one sunrise or one sunset in their lifetime. But without fail, we're still amazed by it. You see, see, there are some things in life that occur over and over again, and we would all assume would be bored. But there are some things where the opposite is true. We can look at events like a sunrise and sunset, and all we can do is look at its beauty, and then do what? Just give thanks. So there are three points I want to make in Psalm 100, okay? Three points, and the three points are this. What to bring where to belong, now to behold. Okay, so what to bring, where to belong, now to behold. So out of the 150 chapters that make up the book of Psalms, Psalm 100 is the only psalm that has in its title a psalm for giving thanks. It's the only one. Most of the psalms consist of the idea of giving thanks to God, but Psalm 100 has it in its heading. So as Psalm 100 focuses on us as a people giving thanks and praise to God, then we have to do the same. Okay? So let's go to my first point, what to bring. Okay? What to bring. In, first, in verse 1, the first imperative, okay, the imperative is a, a to-do, what you've got to do. One of the to-dos in Psalm 100, the very first one is, it comes in the word here, is the word make. Okay, that's the first imperative. But make what? So make a joyful noise. Okay, it's also translated, or maybe better translated, as make a joyful shout. Okay, so in biblical times, the idea was the people were shouting out to a victorious king. When the king had returned from a battle, a war, and had won, and he had come back, and the people would line up and shout at the king. But there are other times in the Bible where 
people, the people would make a joyful noise. So there's going to be quite a few Bible passages. But in 1 Samuel chapter 4, verses 5 to 7, 1 Samuel chapter 4, verses 5 to 7, it says this. As soon as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel gave a mighty shout so that the earth resounded. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shouting, they said, what does this great shouting in the camp of the Hebrews mean? And when they learned that the Ark of the Lord had come to the camp, the Philistines were afraid, for they said, a God has come into the camp. And they said, woe to us, for nothing like this has happened before. Imagine with me now. Imagine with me that we are at a red carpet event. So there's a release of a new movie. And it's the, the movie is starring your favorite movie star. This movie star whom you followed their entire career. You've seen every movie they've been in. You even know you can quote every single movie line that they've said. And as you're standing there patiently waiting with your camera for the movie star to arrive, you know what happens? The anticipation builds. Then the limousine arrives. Then your favorite star, as they arrive, they get out of the limousine and they start walking the red carpet. And then all the camera sort of flashbulbs start flashing here and there. And at that moment, as that's happening on that red carpet event, as your movie star is walking on the red carpet, all the paparazzi is shouting out their name. And what you do is then you join them in the excitement in shouting out the name of the movie star. So, the Bible here in Psalm 100 is encouraging us to shout to sing, to make a joyful noise to the Lord. But there's problems. There are a few of us in this room who are not gifted with a singing voice. I happen to be one of them. I know this for a fact, because every time I sing, my children tell me to be quiet. <laughs> but the point of the psalmist is actually not in the volume of the shout. The psalmist wants your noise, whether big or small, to be what? Joyful. And who are we making this joyful noise to? The Lord. So going back to the same illustration, continuing on with the illustration of making a joyful noise to, or a joyful shout to a movie star walking on a red carpet event, we might not have been, you know, look, we might have been able to follow this star's career through every movie, through gossip magazines, through celebrity news, to whatever it is. But the, one of the issues is with this movie star is that you will never have a relationship with them. The Lord, however, no matter, first of all, no matter how big you think he is, the truth is he's bigger. But no matter how far you think he is, you can find him when you need him. See, the Lord wants your focus and attention, but he also ultimately wants a relationship. The Lord wants more than just a bunch of Instagram followers. He ultimately wants you to be more like his son, Jesus, 
through the power of the Holy Spirit so that you would first to know and then also to feel how far he would go to offer this relationship. Then in verse 2, we find the second imperative. So the first was make a joyful noise. The second imperative is to serve. Serve the Lord with gladness. Okay, so we should praise the Lord because he has gifted each and every one of us to serve him, but also to serve others. But over the years, being a pastor now for over 20 years, I've had many in the church say, hey, Pastor Vin, I don't know where to serve. First of all, I think it's so encouraging that to hear people say, I want to serve, but I don't know where. I'm deeply encouraged by that. But my first encouragement for us to know is that we're capable of some common things, right? That we're capable of saying hi rather than ignoring each other, walking down the hallway. We're capable of actually opening the door for the people behind us. And we're also capable of sharing a meal with each other in the cafeteria here. We're capable of all those things. That doesn't take special gifts and talents. See, some of you might be already doing these things, and we thank you, but we think there's more. In Matthew chapter 25, verses 35 to 40, so Matthew 25, 35 to 40, if you're continually asking, where do I serve and how? The Lord says this, For I was hungry and gave me food. I was thirsty and gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you? Or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it for me. There are, few, there are quite a few ministries. If you don't know Willingham Church, yes, it's a big church with lots of ministries. I would love to highlight them all, but I won't. But I want to take time to highlight one. I want to highlight our Imagine ministry. It is a ministry that needs our continued love and our attention. It is a ministry that serves a very very special group of people. And it's a ministry that fulfills, okay? Fulfills a need for many families in this city. Our brothers and sisters who attend our Imagine ministry might need your help. I would assume so. But they also need your support and your friendship. I would add this. I would add that there is a grace when we serve the least of these. There is a grace from God given to us when we serve the least of these. See, when we serve those in different circumstances than us, do you know what happens? What happens is it gets our focus off ourselves and then onto someone else. See, when you make things about someone else, there is a gladness that comes with it. Which then leads me to my third imperative, well, the Bible says the third imperative, and it's right here, the word, come. 
Come into his presence. This is something I will pick up again later in verse, later in verse 4. Okay? So you have make, serve, and come. The, um, the fourth imperative, the fourth imperative we are called to, to bring is to, now, to know. Know that the Lord, know that the Lord, that he is God. Okay, um, for those who don't know, I was born and raised in Australia. And so I had a lack of knowledge when it came to snow. The only concept of snow I ever had was what I saw on television and on movies. So put it this way, I, I, I knew snow from a distance. But I can remember the first time and one time going out with my family when Laura and I were living in Calgary and I saw a pile of snow put together at the end of a, of a parking lot. It was piled up. My knowledge of snow at that moment when I saw it was that all snow was soft and fluffy. What I decided to do next was to run, jump, starfish <laughs> into the pile of snow. Now, just so you know, my wife was there and did not stop me. <laughs> my knowledge of, like, so what happened next was, what you have to know if you've never done it before, is that at that moment when snow is piled up like that, it's not soft and fluffy. The snow was as hard as a concrete wall. That's why my face looks the way that it does. <laughs> you see, only when I had experienced the snow against my face was my knowledge increased. We can know about God's love, but we would also want, he would also want us to experience it in order to what? To increase our knowledge of his love. There may be many of us who, who were born and raised in the church all your lives, and you can probably quote more Bible verses to me than I could to you. But the knowledge of God is somewhat of a distance to you. But also the opposite is also true. There may be many of us who have been raised and grown up in the church in all our lives, and all we want each and every day is to only experience the love of God without the knowledge. Both ways leave us at a distance from God. Both. But the Bible does encourage us, though, to start off with the increase of our knowledge of God. In the book of Hosea, in chapter 4, verses 6, it says, My people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. So which means, hey, let's, let's increase our knowledge of God by reading his word. He's saying, don't, don't reject this. Then in Romans, a very famous passage, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 2, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing that you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect 
Church, the world is fighting for your heart's attention. But it is with your mind that God wants you to use to fight that battle. As Charles Spurgeon, a 19th century Baptist preacher, once said, since you are tempted without ceasing, pray without ceasing. We cannot just use our feelings to fight off temptation, but it's with the knowledge of who, what we have in the Lord. Just as Jesus was tempted during his time in the wilderness, when he was tempted there for 40 days, 40 nights, he used what he already knew from the Bible to help him to fight off Satan. So now my question is this, how should we respond to God in just the first three verses? Just first three verses, how should we respond? A joyful noise, come, a joyful, noise a joyful shout, where does that come from? It comes from the heart. Serving the Lord, where does that come from? That comes from our hands. And the knowing of the Lord comes from where? From our head. So what do we bring? What do we bring in praise to the Lord? We bring our hearts, we bring our heads, and we bring our hands. This now leads me to my second point. Where to belong? So stay with me in the second half of verse 3. Okay, in the second half of verse 3, there are pronouns here that I want to highlight for us. Okay, there's a couple of pronouns. Uh, the pronouns are he, his, his, and then his again. Okay, so he, his, and his. So starting with the knowledge of God, that's where he's starting from, that, that, that he is God and we are not. That's his first sort of big thing. And then we are reminded that since he is God and we are not, that he's reminded that this God has made us, which is meant to, to remind us that God, he is our creator, that out of nothing he made something. Look, that sounds simple enough, but I want to sort of push against this idea more. Let's go deeper in many ways. Because, but there are many ways that even our culture and our thoughts and our minds push against this simple idea that God is creator. And I only want to mention two. Okay? Um, first is, in our culture, in our society today here in Canada in 2023, when we meet someone very successful, whether it be famous, or whether it be rich, or whatever it is, it doesn't matter, we tend to call that person, we have, a, we have a terminology for them, and that terminology is, that person is a self-made man or woman. The idea behind the term is that everything that this person has achieved and attained has been all through their what? Their own gifts and skills and talents. There's no one else to credit but that self-made person. Well, let's go even within the church wars supposedly safer. People are always, I'll give you an example, people are always telling Laura and me after meeting my children that both my kids are really cute. We, the truth is, Laura and I don't know how to reply, but sheepishly we will, we will reply with a simple and innocent thank you. But I'll confess that when I say thank you to, to people about my cute kids, there's a part of me that wants to take some credit. Because somehow I had something to do with their looks, because they're cute, because their father is cute. <laughs> That's what I think. Really. 
But scripture actually pushes against this idea and says, hold on a second, Vin, hold on. If I had any control over the way my kids looked, or even I had any control of the way my kids acted, then the truth is, if you would ask me in my confession, my children, both of them would look physically beautiful forever, and both my children would be doctors, if I had any control. But the truth is, is that God has formed each and every child with all the care and attention of the most loving Father all before we had even conceived of having a child. All this God does, he does in the womb. Without your say, without your doing. My wife, Laura, during that pregnancy, all she did was eat potato chips the whole entire time. That was our contribution. Potato chips. I don't know where this saying comes from. It says, of all the idols, man finds himself the hardest to abandon. You, me, our children all need to belong to the Lord and not, and not belong to our skills and abilities. We are not self-made, but we have been made and we, by the most wonderful creator. It's him who has formed us. He's formed us in the womb with great intricate detail and knows every single hair on our head. That's why we praise the Father, we praise the Son, we praise the Holy Spirit for all of creation, seen and unseen. Look, the idea behind the terms, going back to verse 3, that we are His, that we are His people, and this, uh, that we are in His pastor is emphasizing that the Lord, so you got first that the Lord is our creator, and now it's, the focus is just shifting, and now God is our redeemer. The Lord is our shepherd, and we are his sheep. So you got redeemer, you got creator, and shepherd and sheep. Jesus himself explains in detail about himself redeeming or buying back his sheep and his people in the Gospel of John. So in John chapter 10, in John chapter 10, verses 11 to 12, and then 14 to 16, it says this. The thief comes only to steal and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees a wolf coming and lays the sh- leaves the sheep and him. Sorry. And flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. Then in verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. I lay down my life for my sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold, that I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. So my question then is, for us this morning, is where do we all belong? See, thanks be to Jesus for laying down his life so that as sheep we have the privilege of being with him in his pasture. This morning, if you don't know Jesus, we're so thankful that you're here and that you've chosen to be here. I hope you will hear me out on this. But have you noticed that we all belong or want to belong to something or to someone? We all do, Christian and non-Christian alike. 
Think about our culture here in Canada. We all want to belong to, let's say, for instance, an example, as a sports team. Those who belong, who really want to belong, they'll purchase season tickets. Or they'll get the jerseys of their favorite player. And if the team wins, if the team hits the pinnacle and wins it all, they'll get the team logo tattooed on their face. I'm going to a different point. Some want to be like, for instance, social, social media influencers. Not just to have followers, it's more than that, but some want to sort of represent a, 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 like a brand or a company. Because now even companies, if they're smart, they start selling us on the idea of being part of the brand, of being part of the family of the brand. Look, belonging to those things is not wrong within itself. But what I would say is, man, that is some hard work. Because following a team costs money. And your feelings are so defined and go up and down if the team wins or loses. And being a, like a social media influ influencer feels like you need to perform all the time. And the brands and the names that follow you are not actually for you, but rather what they think you represent. But Scripture promises us that there is nothing safer and more secure than having Jesus as your shepherd. Nothing. This is why one of the most famous psalms, the most famous psalm is Psalm 23. And in line 1, verse 1, the psalmist says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Have you sat, have you sat somewhere, in our, somewhere in our great city? Have you sat somewhere like Stanley Park, English Bay, whatever it is? Have you sat there and just watched the sun rise and then the sun set? Have you done that? You take a seat, you take a seat there and you just stare at the sunrise and sunset as it slowly go, rises up, goes down. And in that moment, what do you lack? Nothing. It is the same with the shepherd and the psalmist. The psalmist is so sure that because of his shepherd, he lacks nothing. Nothing in all of life. See, this now leads me to my third and final point. Now, to behold. So in verse 4, in verse 4 there are actually three imperatives. Okay, so we've had four, now we've got the last three. There's seven altogether, but in verse 4 there are three imperatives and they are enter, praise, and then give thanks. Okay, those are the three imperatives. Enter, praise, and give thanks. So enter, into, enter his gates has the same idea as what was said in verse 2, which was coming to his presence. It's the same sort of invitation. But church, we should be amazed at this invitation. You need to be amazed by this invitation because during the time when this was penned, when this was written, you couldn't just enter into the temple. You just couldn't enter into the Holy of Holies. You couldn't just enter to where God was. You would die. Only a priest could enter the temple. And not just any priest, but they would cast lots. 
And he would enter the temple, the Holy of Holies, once a year. That's it, to offer sacrifices. Once a year. Okay, so imagine with me. I wouldn't mind meeting world-famous singer Michael Bublé. It wouldn't hurt my day. It might make my day a little bit better. I say this. You know why I say this? Because I know he lives in Burnaby. (laughs) I know I can just walk to his place and ask to come in or jump over the fence, you know what I mean, do all those things. Look, I'm willing to try to go and meet him without permission. Yeah, okay, then there's issues. I'd be arrested. And it wouldn't be the first time, for those who know me. But what I actually need is for his mother, who he absolutely adores, to walk me to the door, to introduce me to her son, and for her to tell her son, Michael, don't worry. This guy is not a crazy stalker. I know Vin. He's with me. In the light of what Jesus has done by his death on a cross, He's made a way. He's made a way for us to enter the Holy of Holies, to be with the Father. And we can do this what? With confidence. We are reminded of this every time. Every time we read Scripture, every time we pray. But also, every time we gather inside this church building. Here's another question for you. What are some of the reasons that you have walked into this church building today? For some, are you looking for the answers to life's hardest questions? Are you here for social reasons because you're lonely and just want to make friends and talk? Or did you grow up doing this and you don't know what else to do on a Sunday morning, so you just keep doing it? Or does coming here somehow make you feel good to get you through the next week? If that's the case, you're welcome here. Can I give us more reasons why you want to walk in here, into this church building? I only have three. You have something what we call the secular to the sacred. Okay? Secular to the sacred. This is what I mean. Life outside these walls can be amazing, can it not? Especially during the summer, it's amazing. But it can also be really hard. Walking into this building should remind us of that this, from the secular to the sacred, that this is a sacred place and space. That we are entering ultimately into the presence of the Lord. This helps us to forget about our current concerns and to focus on the things and the person that really matters in our life. Secular to sacred. The next would be physical to spiritual. The outside world is real and tangible, but walking into this building should remind us that there's a real spiritual realm that we cannot see and we cannot control. And that's a good thing for us because it reminds us that God is in control of even the things we cannot see. Amen. Then you got from low to high. Life can feel low. 
A lot of the time, you know, most of the time, it feels like life can feel low and difficult and hard. But our gathering under the name of Jesus should remind us that there is something in the lowest of lows, that there's something better to come. But life can feel high. Now, be careful what you mean, what I mean by the word high. But life can be good and great, can it not? But our gathering under the name of Jesus should remind us that even in the highest of highs, there is still something greater to come. There are many other reasons for the church to gather, but we ultimately encourage, okay? Praise the Father, to praise the Son, and to praise the Holy Spirit. But this is not only for people who follow Jesus, but this, is, this goes back to, go back to verse 1. At the end of verse 1, what does it say? That all are to make a joyful noise to who? All the earth. All the earth. Christian and non-Christian are to make a noise, to make a shout, great shout to the Lord. So my encouragement to us is, would you invite one family member, one friend, one neighbor to join us in praising the name of Jesus? There is something wonderful, isn't there, when we invite others to join us in praising the name of Jesus? Because there is something wonderful about praising together. I remember being on a plane, flying back from a conference where I spoke at, flying home, and it was, one of, it was probably the one and only flight where I was nervous the entire time. I'm not a nervous flyer. But for this flight, this entire flight, they warned us that there was going to be severe, it wasn't even a little turbulence, they said it was severe turbulence. And it was true, it was quite severe, but as we landed, I'm not even kidding you, when we landed, the entire flight started clapping and cheering. And as we were looking around, we started high-fiving each other, like we made it, I'm not even kidding you. But think about it, rich or poor, black or white, young or old, none of that mattered in that moment because we had gone through something together. Willingham Church, look around you. Praise him for bringing people all over the world from all different types of backgrounds and stories here, united under one name. Or as Pastor Burke Parsons says, Weekly, normative, ordinary means of grace-gathered worship is one of the more extraordinary things in the world. This is extraordinary. This. The psalmist concludes by telling why we behold the Lord. Why we behold. There are many other reasons to behold the Lord, but he only gives us three in verse 5. Three, and it says here, for he is good. And his steadfast love then endures forever, and that his faithfulness is to all generations. Those are the three. He is good, his steadfast love, and his faithfulness. So I want to conclude with this thought. Have you ever wondered why God wants us to praise him so much? Because this has been a great concern for many atheists. They see the God in the Bible and they say, man, he is so egocentric 
And he's an egomaniac. Look at, read it. All God does is say, look at me. Praise me. Worship me. That's what he does over and over again. And we're going to be doing it for all eternity. Man, the atheists have a great point. So imagine with me now. This might not be hard to imagine in the middle of summer when the weather is so hot. But I want you to imagine with me that each and every one of us together, we're walking in the desert. And we've been walking in the desert for the last couple of days. With no escape, with no rescue in sight, nothing. And all you see is sand, all you see is the desert. You then see, we then see a cup of water, cool, refreshing water in front of us. It's not a mirage, it's not fake, it's the real thing. My question then is, would it be egotistical of the cup of water to say things like this to us? Look at me. Don't look at the sand. Don't look at the sun. They can't help you. But look at the cup of water. Look at me. Would it be egotistical of the cup then, the cup of water to say, praise me. Thank me. Thank me because I'm the only thing here in this entire desert, this dry, barren land that can save you from your thirst. Would it be egotistical of the cup of water then to say to you, worship me. Give me the worth that I deserve because no one else can satisfy your thirst. Nothing can save you. Sam Crabtree, who wrote a great book called Practicing Thankfulness, I highly recommend, says this. Being blessed is passive, not active. You can sit like a bump on a log and receive a blessing, but make no response. The whole world is blessed with common grace. Sunrises, rain, refreshment, and countless other benefits. But the whole world doesn't respond with thankfulness. Thanking is active. It responds. It issues forth behaviors. In fact, it can't be stopped from doing so. The Lord, He is not arrogant to call people to praise and behold Him, but it is necessary. It is necessary because He is the only shepherd that can save and He is the only shepherd that can satisfy. So let's praise him together. So let's pray. So Lord Jesus, we praise you. First of all, we praise you that because of your life, your death and your resurrection, you have made a way for us. You have, we have now confidence in what you have done. That we can enter the Holy of Holies. We can approach the throne of grace. So Jesus, for those who have known you for a long time, this should make us the most joyful, thankful people on the entire planet. By the power of your Holy Spirit, would you rejuvenate, reawaken, resuscitate that joy in us? Because we've been lying dormant, just doing this thing, week in, week out. 
but remind us of the joy. Help us to praise you because you are the only one that can satisfy and help us in the midst of a desert. And Jesus, for those in this room who do not know you, by the same power, would you let them know that the things that they're chasing after in this barren and desert land will never satisfy, will never be enough. Jesus, would you draw them to your side? Would you soften their hearts? Would you give them a taste, just a single drop of the joy that you have for them so that they would call you Lord and Savior? So Jesus, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you are the shepherd, the ultimate shepherd. And in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So during the, as we continue in worship, eventually the elders, the pastors, and life group leaders will be here in the front to pray for you. They'll be up in the balcony as well. In the back, you'll see it there. Please, even if you're up in the balcony, please, there'll be people to pray for you and with you. And there'll be reflection questions for you to contemplate.